Today on the Evangelist Podcast, we continue our discussion of apologetics. The Evangelist Podcast from Revival. Find out what's new in telling people the good news about God, the world, and you with Andy Brinkley and Glenn Scrivener. Welcome back to the Evangelist Podcast. I'm Andy Brinkley, and this is Jerusalem Awards no, not winner. Again. Not again. Winner. Winner. Oh, yeah. Glenn Scrivener. Winner. So when was that? That was last week, wasn't it? It so, was, yeah. Yeah. So you got your fun. little... Got my little very heavy Perspex brick. Perspex, is it? Yes. Not glass. Right. Oh, I don't know. Is it glass? I don't, I don't really know. Okay. It's um, no, it's nice. It's, it was a nice thing to receive, and we went up to BAFTA. That was you and Sam Kwan. Sam Kwan, who, uh, yes, did the video, made it look very pretty. and um, Josh, Lu- Josh Lucas did the uh, audio. Josh Lucas did the very good sound, and again, like you watch these videos without the sound and without the well, without the music, yeah. and you think, eh, whatever. But then, like the yeah, the music comes, yeah. and genuine goosebumps time, and so yeah, that was nice. It was nice to sort of it was nice to meet lots of other people who want to speak of Jesus online, mm. um, and and yeah, and we all sort of see actually that you know Facebook and Twitter is is really a, a harvest field and, yeah. and we need to be sowing good seed onto it yeah. so good to meet lots of other people who are keen to do that and uh, collaborate with them in the future i hope yeah so so you, we've got another you've got another video coming out yes. soon you hope <laughs> yes yeah remembrance day it, ne- it needs to be soon so uh i don't know i mean all year i've been thinking i should probably write a world war one themed <laughs> A spoken word thing, uh, and then sort of one, three weeks before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Sort of inspiration sort of hits instantly, and you go, "Oh, okay, let's give it a go." So, um, so we shot that last week, and we're editing it together, yeah. and uh, hopefully, well, it'll be, it'll be out in the next week or two. Um, Another master touch of Sam Kwan and his uh, and, video shooting and, and editing skills. Yes, and good old Josh Lucas again. So, <clears throat> yeah. So when it comes out, please do be sharing on Facebook and Twitter mm. and. Uh, emailing it around and uh yeah hopefully just a way of talking about the wars of long ago are actually in our hearts aren't they um and we can sort of point to the kaiser's pride and we can point to a nation's greed and fear and all this sort of thing um but that's all in our own hearts um we need to know a prince of peace and and sort of yeah so a little proclamation of jesus the prince of peace at the end and so hopefully a way in with your non-christian friends to, to talking about jesus yeah good well, this week we're um, we're kind of following on from what we did last time, which was uh, the apologetics. Mm. We op- opened up uh, talking about uh, apologetics. Yeah. Yes, and, uh, a can um, of fire-breathing worms. <laughs> <laughs> we got some response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be looking at that response in a moment. Mm. I just want to say thanks to Duan Seberg. Is that how you say it? It's Dwayne, maybe, yeah. Dwayne Seberg yeah. Mm. has given us a review on iTunes. It says, Your Christ-centred approach and how he shapes everything and how Trinity shapes the gospel, what I get is Jesus, has been eye-opening for me. I'm indebted to you. Thank you. Oh. So that's a good review for the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dwayne. Yeah. Dwayne. Well, should we have a look at some of this uh, <laughs> feedback? A couple of people have commented. And, yeah, it'd just be good to sort of clarify some things and, mm. and uh, discuss further about apologetics. Yeah, good. Okay, well, the first one comes from Dave Jones, and he says, Thanks for the helpful discussion. This is referring to last uh, episode. Any thoughts on how to answer apologetic-style questions when they get thrown at you by the people you're speaking to? Mm. 
It says, I've reconnected with an old friend by email who's heard the gospel loads and asked whether Jesus ever claimed to be God. That's his words. Which has led us into protracted emails about historical questions over whether the gospels progressively embellished Jesus' claims and whether that's more likely than him really rising from the dead and being God's son. And we've counted a bit on which God Christians do don't believe in and how rational we are. Which doesn't feel tremendously fruitful, but seems to be the issue, preventing him engaging with Jesus at the moment. Would, should, do you ever go down those sorts of apologetic rabbit trails, or do you just show him around your house, point out how wonderful and beautiful it is, until his eyes are open to see that or something else? Mm. Well, thank you very much for getting in touch, uh, Dave. Um, yeah, got all sorts of thoughts about how to uh, answer apologetic-style questions. And uh, perhaps we can put on the show notes a few other episodes we've done. We've done a whole series on mm. sort of hot potatoes and, and how we kind of go about answering those. Mm. Um, and sort of one, one thing that I always kind of say when questions are asked of us is not simply to respond on their own terms. I mm. think that's quite important as we're thinking about uh, apologetics and, and this way of doing apologetics. So quite often I, I think of four R's when people ask questions of us. I think, um, firstly, like let's relate um, how that question actually personally affects us. So if they talk about suffering, let's not like treat it as though it's this abstract idea and keep mm. it at arm's length. You know, talk about how it's related to you, how it's related to your friend. I think relating the question to real life is important. I think very important is reframing the question according to gospel terms. Um, so they might ask about suffering and God. Uh, well, let's make sure we're talking about the Christian God. Um, let's let's make sure that we're um, discussing things on, on the terms that the Bible gives to us. So relate, reframe, reflect the question back to the asker, because they've, they've also got to deal with the suffering world, don't they? Um, whatever question they've got. Um, so, you know, Dave's friend here uh, is uh, has doubts about the authority of the scriptures and, and whether, you know, you can trust uh, these historical documents. Well, who does he trust and on what basis? And, it, and is he absolutely certain that he can trust this, that and the other? And on what grounds? Um, these are all questions that everyone has to answer. These questions of authority, what we know and how we know it. They're questions that everyone needs to, to answer. So reflect the question back and then reveal the gospel centered on Jesus. Those are the sort of the four R's that I'm always thinking of when, when people ask uh, any particular questions. What about these questions? So, for instance, Dave asks, you know, did Jesus ever claim to be God? I think that's that's fascinating, and I, I, I get non-Christians asking me that quite a bit, because especially if they've been reading the Gospels and they see Jesus, he keeps on saying he's the Son of God. Okay, he's the Son of God. Is he God? Where did, you know, because Christians are always saying, you know, Jesus is God. Jesus always says of himself, he's the Son of the Father, and he's full of the Spirit. Um, so that that I've found can be a quite a, a, a fruitful kind of way in. I think when when people say, "Oh, Jesus never claims to be God," I think you can get into a really interesting conversation about you know which God are we talking about here? And it sounds like Dave's got into those kinds of areas with with his friend. Mm. But I think it, it gets you into the heart of the gospel when people say, "Well, Jesus never claimed to be God." Ah, well, he claimed to be the Son of the Father. 
who has always enjoyed the love of the Father, and he's come to be our brother to invite us into that love. That's, that's, that's Jesus' claim, not simply to be God mm. in the abstract. Um, and all of a sudden you're, you're talking about quite gospel things. Yes. I suppose it's difficult when you know somebody wants a specific answer to their question. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the answer isn't directly an answer to their question. It's kind yeah. of from a different angle. <laughs> yeah, totally. But isn't that exactly what we see in the Gospels? Yeah. Like, where does Jesus ever give a straight answer to a straight question? Like, where? You know, constantly it's, you know, you know, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a very Jewish, like, you can, you can kind of almost hear Woody Allen saying, saying some of Jesus' lines in, in terms of what do you mean? What are you saying? And have you never read? And, what's, yeah. you know, answering questions with questions is something we're less comfortable with, but something Jesus was very comfortable with. Mm. Um, not to, but this is important, not to sort of deflect the question away, yeah. but to truly answer it. Um, because, you know, your non-Christian friend has rightly perceived that Jesus never claims to be God in that he doesn't claim to be the Most High. He claims to be the Son of the Most High. Mm. And so your, your answer to their question, well, Jesus never claims to be God, is kind of a yes and no. It's like, well, no, not in those terms. But which God are we talking about? Ah, he's the son of the father, therefore he's fully God. Um, so, um, you know, I think it's just the nature of the case that all, all your answers to questions will be a kind of a yes and no, will be a, a reframing mm. of terms. Um, Dave also sort of talks about, um, you know, whether uh, historical questions about the, the gospel's reliability, um, how do you handle that in uh, in uh, in evangelism, we've got another question about that as well. I think if people um, have preconceptions about the Bible's being corrupted, I'm all for saying, "Well, how has it been corrupted? In what way? What's your evidence? What's you know?" If people are going to like wittingly or unwittingly tell lies about the Bible, I'm all for clearing up the truth mm. and and just saying, you know, actually no, that's 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 not credible. That's not the case. Mm. Um, so if, if people have doubts about the authenticity of the scriptures, really what they're doing is they're making a claim that I think is false and that I think I can just try and, you know, deal with, with, you know, know the manuscript evidence is good and, and all this sort of stuff. At the end of the day, that's not the reason why the Gospels are trustworthy. The Gospels are trustworthy because they are the Word of God. And you'll realize they are the Word of God when God speaks to you personally and powerfully through them. That that can be the only proof that they are the word of God. But if people are going to bring up objections to um, anything, the historicity of the, the the gospels or any other fact, if they if they're going to bring up untruths, it's completely cool to you know straighten out those untruths. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're capitulating to an evidentialist apologetic, and and doesn't mean that you are all of a sudden, you know, thinking that you can stand with the unbeliever and reason neutrally from these propositions to gospel truth. It's yeah. it's just setting the record straight. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, so Dave sort of finishes, you know, do you ever go the down these sorts of apologetic rabbit trails or mm. do you just show him around your house? Um and you do both because you're in a conversation, really. But but I would I would raise those four R's. So it, uh, whatever whatever question somebody asks you, it it might sound completely like a red herring, but it's not. It can't be a red herring if this is Jesus' universe. If this is Jesus' universe, you could discuss red herrings and and how they preach the gospel, <laughs> like if you had time, you know. 
so you know we we, we did a um a youth uh, a youth group recently i was speaking at a youth group and there was a question time afterwards and there were all sorts of questions that were sort of fired to me that you know the teenagers thought were just you know humorous you know where does jesus keep his time machine and you know things like this <laughs> And, you know, how do you know that, you know, you're not just a brain in a vat being prodded by a mad scientist and that sort of thing? <laughs> and, you know, you could just laugh those off and, and you know, prob- probably it might be the wise thing to do. There's, there's more important things to talk about. But there's also another way in which you could say, well, actually, no, you don't know that either, do you? And, you, you know, how do you know that the, that the past exists? How do you know that the past exists? You might have been created five seconds ago with a memory of everything that had happened, you know, in, in, in the past. And so, you know, the whole world could have been created five seconds ago. We live in the Matrix. <laughs> we, we might be living in the Matrix. We might be. So how do you know what's true? Ah, what if someone from outside the Matrix breaks in, you know? And then all of a sudden you're, you're talking about Jesus and his incarnation and, and someone from beyond, someone, you know, from the mad scientist realm... <laughs> has broken in and said, here I am, and you can touch me, feel me, investigate me. Mm. Um, so even the most red herringy kind of questions, and when, when you feel like you're just going down a, a, a rabbit trail, um, you can be talking about gospel stuff. Mm. You really can. Um, and it's just about loving the person and, and spending time with yeah. them, really. Um, Spurgeon spoke about cutting across country mm. to the cross as soon as possible. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just like... <laughs> Do what you can to kind of placate them or whatever and uh, yeah. cut across <laughs> yeah. country to the cross. But I think even deeper than that, it's like whatever byway we're on, <laughs> in the, you know, we might feel that we're lost, we are in Jesus' universe. And there's, some, there's something even about this rabbit trail that mm. we're on that proclaims Christ. Mm. Um, not necessarily that we, we instantly have to say, well, you know, at Golgotha, Jesus died on the cross for our <laughs> no, sins. Um, but that, yeah, that every, everything already is proclaiming Christ, yeah. and we're just sitting with our friend and, and pointing to that. Mm. Good. Okay. Well, hopefully that's uh, helped, Dave. Uh, Howard Nolan says uh, he could only hear the first half of this; he couldn't download the rest. Uh, sorry about that, but maybe try again. Uh, but what I find comes up today is the reliability of the accounts of Jesus, the Gospels, and the New Testament themselves and the arguments of the likes of Dan Brown and Bart Ehrman filter into our culture. Surely that's where apologetics plays some role. Yeah. Yeah, and that does come up a little bit. I mean, it was fascinating when Dan Brown's, you know, Da Vinci Code came out. Mm. Suddenly I was talking with, like, non-Christians about the Council of Nicaea. Suddenly my my (laughs) friends... I just remember there was um, one journey. I was playing cricket and... um, we're playing away from home, and we spent most of this sort of hour and a half's journey huh. talking about the Council of Nicaea, <laughs> thanks to Dan Brown. Well, so thank you, Dan Brown. Um, <laughs> you know, you got people talking about these sorts of issues. And again, I just want to say, look, if if people tell stupid lies about the Bible, then it's yeah, set the record straight. You know, and just you know, if somebody you know says the history was like this, uh, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to say, no, the history was not like that, and let me show you how. Yeah. I don't think at that stage you're sort of capitulating to a, a sort of a classical apologetics. You're just setting the record straight yeah. on, on something that they've said about the Bible. So absolutely correct them on, 
uh, on the sorts of ridiculous things that Dan Brown said, and some of the not quite so ridiculous, but mm. but still ridiculous things that that, that Bart Ehrman says uh, about the scriptures. But at the end of the day, on the scriptures, the only thing that's going to you know convince people that that they are the word of God is that God speaks to them with living power through that word. Mm. But quite interestingly, you know, on those gospels, um, I often say to non-Christians, why don't you read? the Gospels that, that Dan Brown is talking about, you know, the Gospel of Thomas or something, these Gnostic Gospels that were written centuries after the events that they are meant to be narrating in a language that Jesus never spoke, speaking of, you know, pictures of God and salvation and women that are against all reason and sanity and, you know, yeah. and against everything that the Bible, you know, has stood for, certainly the Old Testament. And, you know, so you've, you've got these things. And they are a brilliant kind of compare and contrast to the actual Gospels. Mm. And and just get people to read, the, you know, the Gospel of the Talking Cross or, you know, any, any of these sort of nuts kind of documents. And what's interesting about those is when you read them, you realize what happens when people do just make stuff up. If you were, you know, sitting at a distance of, of a couple of centuries and you, you didn't live in Jerusalem and you were going to make up, you know, the events of Jesus' life or the teaching of Jesus... Um, you would come up with the Gnostic Gospels, and they are just crazy. And the, and the, and then, okay, now read Luke's Gospel, which just begins on Luke's own terms. He says, "Look, I'm just writing an eyewitness testimony. I've gathered together all the eyewitnesses. I'm putting them together into into this account." And then he goes on to to describe, you know, scores and scores and scores of place names, scores and scores and scores of of uh, people names. Um, the leaders of, of various you know parts of the ancient world and all that sort of stuff, and just do a compare and contrast. But at that point, what I'm doing is just asking them to open up the Bible and, mm. and sort of read it for themselves. Um, and again, I, I, I think at, what you're always trying to do is to have this top-down mm. apologetic approach from the Word of God down to you. Um, don't you see that this has divine mm. authority? So absolutely um, try to clear up any misunderstandings of the Bibles, any lies that are told about the scriptures and how they came to us. Clear those up. That's cool. Um, but get scripture into people's hands so mm. they, they can see it for themselves. And those four R's, you know, very helpful there as well. You know, mm. ask them questions and uh, yes, <clears throat> getting, getting them to sort of state their position and uh, yeah. question them. Yeah, how do they know what they think they know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, Dave Kay says he enjoyed the podcast, but he didn't take a selfie. Dave! (laughs) (laughs) As I reflect on it, I think there may be three different approaches to the relation of evangelism to apologetics. Ooh, threes, good. Mm. Number one, positive. Uh, Come over to my house, it's built on rock. Mm -hmm. Acts 17, 2 and 3. Mm -hmm. Or two, negative, defensive. I'll just dismantle that wrecking ball being wielded by Richard Dawkins against our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, reference 2 Corinthians 10.5. Mm. Or the third negative offensive response, uh, your house is built on sand and it won't hold up. Acts 17.22.31. Mm. Uh, it says, really, we need all three. Mm-hmm. What we have to be careful of is going over to the sand and saying, I'll just build our house here. <laughs> And it'll look much the same and people won't need to travel as far. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, th- I think that's very well put. So do we have the, so the, three, the three approaches are positive, come over to my house, it's built on rock. Negative, we stop people from trying to wreck our house. Yeah. 
Um, that's negative defensive. Then there's negative offensive. You go over to their house and, you know, poke around and see how rickety it is. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, I th- I think, you know, in any evangelistic encounter, it's it's going to involve those sorts of things. Of course it is, because, you know, as 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 much as you simply want to proclaim Christ, well, they're going to come back at you with mm. something. Um, so that's absolutely true. But I think um, Dave very correctly says what we what we mustn't do is go over to the house built, built on sand and, mm. you know, and on build their own, own foundation. Yeah. <laughs> build on their foundation. That's, you know, that's not going to work. And it does need to be this top-down thing. Mm. Um, and interestingly, he, he sort of made a follow-up comment, I think. Um, later on, he was, he was thinking some more about uh, 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 is uh, all about, you know, we demolish strongholds. Yeah. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. That's interesting. On the contrary, they have divine power, uh, these weapons, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought uh, captive to make it obedient to Christ. So, yeah, I mean, that that's... Um, that is, that is quite a, a kind of a manifesto for, you know, proclaiming that, yeah, there is sinking sand in the world. Yeah. And I guess when we go over and we build our house on, on their sand, as it were, you know, that, that is a little bit like trying to use apologetics to try and authenticate Jesus, who Jesus is. Or, yes. You know, or we use science to try and prove that yes. God created yes. the world yes yeah whereas you know although that's perhaps viable it's not the right way around you know we've got to mm. um i mean basically it comes down to a heart thing mm. rather than a mind thing because a lot of people come to these things with with their mind mm. and although that's not something that's completely you know you don't forget your mind <laughs> no no you don't um you know it's 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 a heart and, and spirit thing yes yeah, um, fundamentally. Yes. Yeah, people don't want to believe. Yeah. They really don't want to believe. And if and so often what we try to do is to convince them merely of the truth mm. of Christianity and you know Jesus is Lord, really really is Lord, as though we're backing in them, them into a corner trying to get their arm up behind their back mm. until they squeal, "Okay, he's Lord, he's Lord, fine." Yeah. Um have you ever tried that? Man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a Nehemiah style, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Pull the beard out. Pull the beard out, evangelism. Um, no, I'm not really built for that. So I don't think it'll work. But, um, but yeah, if it, if it's like that, is that going to elicit faith yeah. in the unbeliever? Mm. I don't think it'll elicit faith. I don't think it'll elicit loving trust of Jesus mm. in that way. You know, sometimes you can answer their question quite well. Yeah. And you, you know, you complete their question. They. They yeah. go to a different one, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and exactly. ask something completely different, and exactly. Trying to come at it from a different angle. Uh, my wife, when she came to Christ, you know, beforehand she had loads and loads of questions that she mm. was trying to get the answer to, mm. and then she got saved, and then you know she didn't, she wasn't really interested in, <laughs> you know, yeah. all the questions that she had before. Yeah, she, you know, she may have still had questions, yeah, but uh, she didn't need to know the answer. Yes. And and doesn't that sort of match up with what we were saying about Jesus? You know, 
very rarely giving a straight answer to a straight question. Yeah. Well, he knows what's in people. Yeah. You know, he 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 knows what are the genuine questions and what aren't. Mm. So it's very interesting to see how few questions he answers <laughs> on their own terms. Yeah. You know, how many questions are really. You know, it's just just fascinating in Luke 10 where we get that psychological insight into the teacher of the law. You know, wanting to justify himself, mm. he asked a, another yes. question. Yeah. Um, you know. There was something about questions which kind of narrow the framing, you know, narrow mm. the, the point that people are trying to come from. Yes. And by asking another question and everything, you kind of, you know, break out of the, yes. the single-pointedness of the question. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, and and then it becomes more like a, you know, an actual conversation with, you know. Yeah. <laughs> who would have thought who would have thought that evangelism could take that form rather than, you know. Mm. It's not it's not as though someone wants to come up to you and press the button marked, you know, <laughs> this the problem of suffering and then yeah. you just belch out, you know, yeah. your your answer that people don't want that. They do want this this interaction, this relation, but I I think I I really like what Dave's saying in terms of, yeah, Evangelism will involve all sorts of things. There's mm. the positive, just proclamation of Jesus. There's the defending against attacks on Christianity. Mm. And there's the pointing out of weak spots in the non-Christian. Yeah. But Dave also said he sort of uh, uh, wrote this sort of follow-up comment. And he said he'd been thinking more about 2 Corinthians 10. And, and he noticed that, you know, it says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 7, he talks about the, the weapons of divine power mm. that have been given to them. And, of course, in, in 2 Corinthians 3 to 5, you know, that is the gospel, the, this new covenant life-giving word that switches the lights on for unbelievers, mm. and therefore that's, that's what he's into. He's an ambassador for Christ, God making his appeal to people. So absolutely, um, 2 Corinthians 10 is there to say that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Mm. But we don't do that by jumping onto the sand with them and agreeing to their terms of arguments and using those terms. of. Actually, what we do is with the word of God say, actually, that doesn't make sense now, does it? So I think, yeah, Dave's absolutely right that, that evangelism will always involve those three movements, proclaiming, defending against attacks and pointing out weak spots in the, in the opponent. Yeah. If we want to, you know, speak in those sort of adversarial terms, which we probably don't, but um, certainly well, Paul does, so maybe we do. <laughs> Two Corinthians ten, that uh, you know, we we are at war in 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 some senses, but I, I I think let me let me let me do it like this. Let me let me take uh, something I read on the internet just today as an example of how I think apologetics and evangelism works. There was something online at uh, Huff... Oh, no, it, was the, it wasn't Huffington Post. It was The, the Atlantic. There's an, uh, an article by a guy called Crispin Sartwell. I'm not sure he gave this article this headline. It's, it's usually not the, um, the authors who give the, the, the headlines. Yeah. But it's called Irrational Atheism. And it's all about... Um, it's got the tagline, Not believing in God isn't always based on reasoned arguments, and that's okay. Yeah. Which is refreshing to hear, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. At uh, last. <laughs> at last. At last somebody's admitting what Christians have always known. Christians have always known that, you know, however loudly an atheist bangs the rational drum, mm. 
<laughs> what is animating that? You know, even as they bang the rational drum, their heart is animating that. <laughs> they have a love for rationalism. <laughs> they have a, a faith commitment to a certain view of the universe. Yeah. And it is a faith commitment that cannot be proved on its own terms. It can't. It really can't. Um, so here's an atheist who's just coming out and admitting that. And that is just so refreshing to hear. Um, he, he says... Um, Early on in the article, he says, Atheism embodies a whole picture of the world, offering explanations about its most general organization to the character of individual events. So, atheism embodies a whole picture of the world. Then he says, ironically, this is similar to the totalizing worldview of religion. Neither atheism or religion can be shown to be true or false by science, or indeed by any rational technique. Whether theistic or atheistic, they are all matters of faith, stances taken up by tiny creatures in an infinitely rich environment. And he goes on to say, well, I have taken a leap of atheist faith. <laughs> now, that's really refreshing to hear. Yeah. Because so often the, the sort of the, the new atheism of, of sort of a Dawkins or a, a Daniel Dennett, they are very much sort of logical positivists, rationalists, modernists, and and just want to take the rational high ground. Mm. How do we respond to that? You know, if if we want to, in the words of 2 Corinthians 10, demolish arguments, how do we demolish that kind of argument? Do we sort of do it on its own terms? And I think so often um, the new atheists falsely say, oh, you faith heads, you know, you have faith. Faith is belief in the absence of evidence. Now, that is a false definition. That's a false argument. It's a false definition of faith. It's nowhere in the Bible. Um, but so often what we want to do is to say, no, you're wrong. You're wrong, Mr. Atheist. Um, we, uh, we believe because of evidence. And then all of a sudden we're, we're playing on their terms. No, we do. We do mm. believe in, you know, as a response to evidence. But as soon as we kind of make that step and said it's about evidence, evidence, I think we've started to stand on sand at that point. Because mm. in the Bible, what is it that corresponds to faith? In the Bible, what corresponds to faith is the Word of God, the preaching of the Gospel, the gift of Christ, the grace of God in Jesus. Faith comes by hearing mm. and hearing the Word of God. So, in the Bible, what it is that actually corresponds to faith is not so much evidence, it's the gospel, it's the word, it's preaching. Um, so it might seem the obvious thing to do. You know, the non-Christian says, you know, faith is belief in the absence of evidence. It might seem the obvious, obvious thing to do to climb onto their terms and not reframe the question, just say, no, no, there's all sorts of evidence. But I think instantly we then start playing by their rules. Yeah. And I don't think we want, we want to do that. I think far more than, than saying to the atheists, no, Christians also believe in evidence. I think what we, what we really need to do is to say, no, 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 you atheists are also people of faith, yeah. which is what this, this article does. Yes. And it's so refreshing. You know, atheists are also people of faith. They've, they've got these totalizing worldviews. Mm. Um, they've got a whole picture of the world that they live by. Of course they do. It's, mm. it's a faith position. So I, I think that's that's a brilliant admission, and I think that's you know that's something I, I will point my atheist friends to mm. you know in the future. But then, what's fascinating is in this article, um, 
Crispin Sartwell finishes by by saying, "Well, why why is he taking this leap of atheist faith? Like, why did why is why is he an unbeliever?" And it's to do with the the problem of evil, the question of suffering. He says, uh, "Genuinely bad things have happened to me in my life. One of my brothers was murdered; another committed suicide. I've experienced addiction and mental illness, and I, like you, have watched horrors unfold all over the globe. I don't." I can't believe this to be the best of all possible worlds. Now I don't know, you know, he's, he's picking that up up from uh, uh, Leibniz and Spinoza, um, sort of philosophers. Um, but that's certainly not the only position that you know Christians have ever taken that this is the best of all possible worlds. But but you know, that's what he's reacting against. I mm. can't believe that this is the best of all possible wor- worlds. I think there is genuinely unredeemed, pointless pain. Some of it is mine. By not believing in God, I keep faith with the world's indifference. I love its beauty. Get this: I love its beauty. I hate its suffering. I think both are perfectly real because I experience them both all the time. I do not see any reason to suspend judgment. I'm here, and I commit. That is, I commit to my atheist faith. I'm perfectly sincere and definite in my belief that there is no God. I can see that there could be comfort in believing otherwise, believing that all the suffering and death makes sense, that everyone gets what they deserve, and that existence works out in the end. But to believe that would be to betray my actual experiences, and even without the aid of reasoned arguments, that's reason enough not to believe. So I'd love to have a beer with uh, with Crispin and just like talk to him mm. about this because I, I think that actually his experience does not make sense mm. on the atheist worldview. He says he loves the beauty of this world and he hates the suffering of this world. Mm. Um, and he thinks that both are perfectly real. I don't think he thinks that they're very real at all. If he if he thinks that all of reality is you know time and chance acting on matter, if this has all come from slime plus selfishness plus you know, and here we all are, slime plus struggle plus selfishness equals mm. beauty and evil. No no no. If it's just slime plus struggle plus selfishness, then that's all it is. Yeah. And beauty and suffering are not really real. They're just surface level stuff. Um, so I'd, 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 you know, I mean, C.S. Lewis, you know, I often, you know, use this example. C.S. Lewis says that, you know, if you'd never ever seen a straight line in your life, then you've never ever seen a crooked line either. If every line you've ever seen is wavy, mm. then lines aren't wavy or straight; they're just lines, because mm. there's there's nothing straight against which to judge a wavy line. We look at a, a world that is crooked, but how do we know it's crooked? And why do we call it crooked? Surely it's just life, right? You know, sometimes, sometimes you get lucky in the lottery of life. Sometimes you don't. But nothing's beautiful or evil or suffer. You know, mm. nothing's evil. Nothing's wrong if everything's random, right? If everything's random. Nothing's wrong. Not really. So I, I would just want to encourage Crispin that look, you've got you've got these experiences of evil. I want to tell you about a good God that gives you the right to call. Good, good, mm. and the right to call evil evil, um, and it seems like I don't know. It seems like he hasn't kind of encountered that. It seems like all he's really count- encountered is is kind of this this belief in karma that you know everyone just gets what they deserve and and all that kind of stuff, and that there could be no unjust suffering if there is a god. Mm. Well, that you know that's 
that is a lot of religions out there in the world, but it's not Christianity. Mm. There is unjust suffering. There is innocent suffering. At the heart of the universe, there is the lamb who was slain. Um, so I just, I just want to talk more with him about, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I want to do that sort of negative dismantling of mm. his arguments. Um, but on the, on the basis of, well, come on, your experience of the world only makes sense on a Christian worldview. So, you know, and then just proclaim that to him. That's, that's, that's the way around, I think, mm. evangelism should happen. Yeah. Um, so this kind of, we kind of followed up our episode from last time. Mm. If there are any more questions, then uh, yeah. do submit them. Okay, so the web address for this episode is revivalmedia.org slash TEP74. You can leave comments on that page there. You can sign up to this podcast via email. And there's a link to the iTunes listing where you can leave us a rating and review. We'd be very happy if you'll do that, and we'll read it out online if you leave us a review. Even if it's awful. (laughs) Even if it's dreadful. Nothing about my nose, though. (laughs) Got the perfect nose for radio. I've got the perfect nose for radio, that's true. For podcasting. Except it it keeps hitting the microphone. It's dreadful. (laughs) (laughs) Next anyway, week. So, next week, yes. Next week, uh, we we've got Andrew Wilson. Okay, who is Andrew Wilson? Who is Andrew Wilson? He's a, a pastor and elder at uh, King's Church Eastbourne, the author of many books, including uh, Unbreakable, a new book about uh, Scripture, about Jesus and uh, how he saw the Scriptures and therefore how we should see the Scriptures. Uh, so, really looking forward to talking to him about his book, about the Bible, about writing, about apologetics, evangelism, the life of the local church. <laughs> Be great. So, big long episode next week. Yeah. Okay, thanks very much for listening, and uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye.